Amen. Well, I want to introduce you guys uh, named Craig. He, him and his wife Sharon have been incredible, faithful people, and we have been uh, partnering with them at the Short Church for uh, quite a while. They served in China for a while, the whole 10 years, and uh, now they're back in the States, and they worked with Fire International Bible for a while, and now they're here in Michigan uh, working with Free International viewing uh, uh, Unbound, which is all about getting people and children out of set trap, uh, human trafficking. And I uh, was on his website just reading some of the information, and I won't get into it, but I want you to, to share that information, but it's incredible to see the impact that this kind of ministry can have, because we think it's out in the other countries, and it's happening in our very own backyards. And so thank you, Greg, for your ministry on behalf of Pastor Scott and Annie, behalf of the church. Thank you for faithfully being someone to serve your ministry and allow God to use you and your ministry to impact kids and, and people all over the world. So short church, can you help me welcome Craig? So, thank you very much. Sharon and I have eight children. We have three birth kids, five adopted kids. How many of you remember us coming here with our little kids? The five, the five little kids, yeah. And uh, they're not so little anymore. The oldest is 26 and married, and the youngest is 17. And I think when we were here, they were probably, the oldest was probably in the eight to 10, 10 nine year old age, so. Um, we also have great, our 12 grandchildren and one great grandchild. That's, this is a good time for you to say, no way. <laughs> That's kind of the way we feel some days too, no way, but, um, but you can say it, you can even think it, that um, there's no way that you're old enough to have great grandchildren, and I agree with you. But, um, but praise God. So we served as AGWM missionaries in China for over 11 years, and we were asked to direct fire Bible translation projects in India for three years, and we've been back in Michigan since um, June of 20, so it'll be about a year and a half. And uh, for those who have, uh, we have been working with, um, as AGUSM missionaries and ministering to those who have been violated as children or are currently being sexually traumatized as a child today. This morning we want to talk about the extremely sensitive topic, the sexual exploitation of our children. I will not be graphic. Parents, it's up to you whether you want your younger children to be present, and again, I won't be graphic. So let's pray before we start. Lord, I just praise you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for, uh, for having me here today. Thank you, uh, Pastors Frank and Parker, for their hospitality. And, um, and just let this be a day of freedom, a day of deliverance, and a day of hope. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, America, how many of you know that our kids are under attack? Yeah. Okay, I, I hope to see every day. 331 million people live in America, 42 million are survivors of sexual abuse. 12% of us have, are survivors of sexual abuse uh, as children. One out of four girls, one out of six boys are sexually abused prior to their 18th birthday. Some say the statistics are closer to one in three girls and one out of five boys. 20% of our sons and daughters will be solicited online prior to age 18. You're going to see a common thread through this, through this whole talk this morning, and that has to do with online. 80% of our college freshmen are addicted to pornography, that's boys and girls. Pornography is the fuel that drives all sexual abuse at every age. 20% of our daughters will likely uh, will be sexually abused before they graduate from college, and much of it occurs as a result of partying, which involves alcohol and drug use, or should I say drug abuse. If the abuse was not reported when it occurred as a child, the average age that adult men and women uh, victims seek help or are able to talk about their childhood trauma is how old do you think? Any ideas? 52. Age 52. That's a lot of stuff to carry for a lot of years, isn't it? Many of us in this room are including those numbers. And you notice I said many of us. Because Sharon and I were both abused as children. I was seven years old and sexually abused by a 16-year-old female babysitter. Both my parents worked full-time and they were giving Vicki an opportunity to earn some money that summer. I never told anybody about it because I didn't think it affected me. It was just something that happened, but I discovered later that it prematurely opened my heart to behaviors and thought patterns that before I was ready for them. As a preteen teenager, it led to a pornography addiction for many years. I also discovered that by not talking about my childhood abuse, I became emotionally detached, which is an inability or an unwillingness to connect with other people on an emotional level including my immediate family and my extended family. Sharon and I had a hand was introduced to sex by a girlfriend when she was 10 years old. The girlfriend had been told things to try by an aunt that had recently gotten married. Later, when Sharon was 12 or 13 years old, she would have sleepovers with several of her school friends. They would try things together. Sharon stopped going to those sleepovers shortly afterwards. Then the abuse started uh, occurring in her home with her father and two of her seven brothers. She never told anybody, but later in life she shared with a friend and she was set free for prayer and deliverance. As AGUSM missionaries, Sharon and I have founded a ministry called Unbound. Our passion is to bring freedom to victims of childhood sexual abuse and domestic child sex trafficking. God has asked us to share our story of hope, restoration, and redemption to be a voice for the voiceless. Church, again, as a nation, we have an enormous problem, and that is that our children are under attack. 
Sexual abuse is found across every age, race, religion, and economic class that has got lifetime effects. This evil plays no secret. It occurs in urban centers and rural settings. Small towns are as vulnerable as large cities. No one, as I was telling someone this morning, no one is protected from this perversion. Again, I want to thank Pastor Scott for offering me the opportunity to speak to this uh, evil epidemic that is involving America. An official definition of child sex trafficking is this. It's the forced commercial sexual exploitation of children through buying, selling, or trading with, for sexual services, which occurs when someone uses force, fraud, promises, coercion, blackmail, or all the above to cause a minor to commit a commercial sex act. Domestic child sex trafficking is just one component of childhood sexual abuse. The U.S. Department of Justice estimates that 200,000 American children are trafficked into the domestic sex industry every year. That average age of the victims are 12 to 13 years old. Childhood sexual abuse is a crime hidden in plain sight, and it is the least talked about crime which contributes to both the lack of awareness and to the widespread growth of this crime. Sexually traumatized kids are hoping someone will notice and protect them. Let's not look past it or simply ignore it or bury it like the administration did in, in Virginia. These are abused children, some as young as two months old. Many of the victims are kids under 18 who were sexually abused as children in their own homes. Girls are the victims of incest or intra-family sexual abuse much more frequently than boys. Between 33 to 50% of sexually abused girls are from family members. 20 to 25% by fathers, 50 to 20% by siblings, grandfathers, uncles, and other relatives. We dovetail the above statistic, the number of intra-family trafficking, not just abuse, is also on the rise. Parents traffic their children or use their own kids to traffic other kids. Many times it is support to support the parents' alcohol and or drug addictions. Domestic sex trafficking is the second highest crime in America and it has infiltrated every neighborhood, every zip code, and every state in our nation. The highest crime is drug trafficking. Sex trafficking is number two. Countless traffic victims are homeless youth, kids in the foster care system, throwaway children, or the neglected and others that live with previous sexual abuse. It is evil. These kids are vulnerable. Amen? <clears throat> when I talk about foster care, many, many think I'm talking about foster care. That this is where it's happening in, in uh, foster homes. Some are in only for the dollar. No, no doubt about it. But others are great foster parents, but the children are still vulnerable. The majority of sex trafficking is accomplished through the internet, like I mentioned before. Social media and the entertainment industry are gateways into our minds. Internet pornography is a major gateway into our souls. Most trafficking begins online by romancing the kids, primarily girls and then meeting them in some pretty terminal place. 
Parents, we can't be naive about this. Our kids are being specifically and intentionally targeted for sex trafficking. While our schools have been shut down and online learning has been happening, guess how thousands of our kids have been spending their idle computer time? You care to guess what sites they could be accessing? Sites like Tinder, which is a dating app that looks for sex partners. Instagram, which is owned by, by Facebook, um, primarily pictures, and Snapchat, the content falls off, uh, falls off the radar after 24 hours. Here's the dangers of Instagram from uh, Angela Gorda, the director for the eating disorder program at John Hopkins Hospital and an associate professor of psychiatry in the John Hopkins, John Hopkins School of Medicine. She estimates that, that Instagram and other social media apps play a role in the disorders of about half of her patients. And it's the ones most vulnerable are already developing an eating disorder problem that the use of Instagram and other social media can only escalate. All of us, parents included, are on social media way too often. Recently saw a group of 15 or 16 kids together at a restaurant and every single one of them were on their cell phones. And no one was talking to each other. Can you imagine 16 kids sitting around the table at, at a pizza hut and, um, and no one talking to each other, just everybody just kind of looking at their phones? Sadly, our children are being desensitized and they're being groomed by perpetrators. Grooming behaviors of traffickers often include Traffickers paying special attention to certain children by taking them out on outings or giving them gifts. Parents and adults need to be aware of what's going on and who their kids' friends are, including adults and family members. Who says you can't pick your kids' friends? Certainly not us. How about y'all? We never allowed our kids to do sleepovers because you never know what goes on in other people's homes. What do uh, vulnerable children look like? We have brochures out on our table that you can look at, and you maybe recognize some uh, kids, or not just uh, young people, but, but also uh, older people into their 20s as well. We recently formed a collaborative relationship with Free International, uh, who are located in Las Vegas, Nevada. The work encompasses not only education and awareness, but also coordinates volunteer groups and organizations in search events for missing children, direct outreach on the streets, help with immediate needs like transportation, vouchers for hotel rooms, food, clothing, and other personal items, and training and working within the hospitality industry to identify and help victims. Um, we Either this year or next year, we're going to be having one of these uh, outreaches in Michigan, and uh, we will be sure that Pastor Scott and these guys know what's going on. Now, let's talk about the untrafficked sexually exploited children. That's just the traffic. Now, we have the untrafficked, but they're being sexually exploited. Childhood sexual abuse has many components, including domestic sex trafficking. It's not either or, it's both. According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, 
The almost 80,000 cases of child sexual abuse reported each year falls far short of the actual number. Only 16% of the victims ever report the crime against themselves. And where's the church's impact? Is the church making any impact at all? Any difference at all? We believe that the primary reason the church is not as free and whole as it needs to be is because between the traumatized adult victims that kept their abuse a secret, to the church members themselves that are still addicted to pornography, the church is a shell of what it should be. I have yet to speak to any group, regardless of size, regardless of gender, or regardless of spiritual background, or no spiritual background, where at least one person in the group has not been sexually exploited as a child. Interest, interestingly, when I mention this to pastors and how frequently it happens, they tell me of their own experience or the experience of their spouse. Last week, I met with a pastoral couple when I shared, or a couple, and when I shared this observation, they responded, us too. It happened to us too, both of us. Check these stats out. There are nearly 500,000 registered sex offenders in America. 80 to 100,000 of these offenders are missing in action. Law enforcement has no idea where they are located. 20% of the, of the um, sex offenders are missing. Nobody knows where they are. The FBI estimates there is a sex offender living in every square mile of the United States. A typical pedophile had 117 sexual crimes against children in a lifetime. More than 90% of sexual abuse is committed by someone the victim knows, loves, or trusts. And as disgusting as this is, more than 90% of people, male and female, with developmental um, disabilities will be sexually abused at some point in their lives. 90%. And half of them, uh, with special needs will experience 10 or more sexual abuse incidences, incidences in their lives. We believe God wants us all, everybody, all of us. And back to my Missouri days, I'd be all y'all. To share our struggles in life for the benefit of others. Every one of us unknowingly comes into contact with people every day who have been sexually violated as children and they haven't ever told anyone. Victims of childhood sexual abuse are among the largest unleashed people groups in the country, along with other traumatized people. What is your definition of unleashed people? Many survivors never fully recover from the trauma. They become angry with God and distance themselves from the gospel. They need to be reached. In the church, many surviving church members never reach any level of wholeness in their lives that Jesus offers them. They suffer silently and live in the torment of the physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational pain from their abuse. The traumatizing feel to talk about their abuse to begin the healing process. Whether they know it or not, they need to talk about it. If the church ignores the issue, many victims believe they are the only ones who are ever sexually abused, or they may believe that they were at fault. For some reason, they would be at fault. 
If you refuse, let me assure you, it was not your fault. Unbound has focused our ministry on bringing freedom, hope, and wholeness to people's lives. And we absolutely believe that Jesus is our only hope for healing from sexual abuse. There is nothing that destroys the heart and the soul more than sexual exploitation. I don't know if you know the story of Tamar. It's in the Bible. Anybody know the story? Okay, a few of you. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 39. I promise I'm not going to read 39 uh, verses. However, I will summarize Tamar's situation. I'll let somebody get their phone. Amnon, the son of King David, contrived to get his half-sister Tamar, whom he loved, alone and had sex with her. His friend Jonadab, David's nephew, came up with a conniving plan to fulfill Amnon's wish. Amnon faked illness, and he asked Tamar to serve him a meal in his bedroom where he raped her. Tamar was crushed. Her brother Absalom asked if she had been with Amnon, and she said yes. His brotherly advice was, be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. Hmm? Even in ancient days, victims were told to keep their abuse a secret. King David knew of this evil his son Amnon had done to Tamar, but he said and did nothing. He was angry, but maybe because David felt he couldn't correct his son Amnon because of his own guilty conscience from his sin with Bathsheba. Parents, what do you think? Is this a good reason for us to have a clean heart before God? So we can have a clean heart before our children? Tamar remained to live a desolate life in her brother Absalom's house. What is it, what is meant by desolate? What does it mean to be living a desolate life? Webster says that it's a place deserted of people in a state of weak and dismal emptiness, a place depressingly empty or bare. It's a feeling of misery, unhappiness, and loneliness. Tamar was locked in the silence, shame, and abuse she suffered at the hands of Amnon, her half-brother. An additional native is that after Amnon raped Tamar, he hated her with a great hatred. Greater than the love he once had for her, he told her to get out, get away from me, just go. He told his servant to remove this woman from my presence and lock the door behind her. How many times have we hated the very things we once dreamed of having? You can name your own illustration. Now thousands of years later, untold wings of children are victims of sexual abuse and carry the wounds of that abuse into their adulthood, living the same desolate condition as Tamar. And what are some of the reasons why victims remain quiet or keep the secret? This is a rhetorical question, you can answer that. Why do you think people, excuse me, why do you think people um, keep it to themselves? Shame. 
I'm sorry? Fear? Shame? Embarrassment? There's many reasons uh, not being believed. The reaction of parents, the reaction of others, along with all the others we, talk, we just talked about, including embarrassment. Remember, there are over 42 million survivors of sexual abuse in America. But what does their level of survival look like? Are they whole? Or are they just hanging out? Like Tamar, when we keep our abuse a secret, the enemy gains a foothold. Satan destroys our heart and puts trauma on our souls. America, how did we get here? Church, how did we get here? How is this perversion and evil committed against our children been allowed to happen? Maybe it started with the church's tolerance of abortion when life was not cherished. What do you think? Unfortunately, many of our children have been and are being neglected in this country. We have become a fatherless nation. I'm not just talking about physically absent fathers, but also emotionally absent fathers. Our children have heart wounds. And predators recognize their vulnerabilities. It is very easy to romance a vulnerable girl and have her accept the physical love of predators. Boys often become violent and mean without a father's influence or become abusers themselves, or they struggle with their gender identity, or they don't accept their identity in Christ. Fathers, we should be our children's greatest fans. Let our sons know how incredibly proud we are of them. Let our daughters know how valuable, precious, and special they are to us. Don't let predators fulfill our role of unconditionally loving and appreciating our children, both boys and girls, sons and daughters. Childhood sexual abuse is a horrific problem in the United States. Our wholehearted desire is to help the children who have been sexually traumatized to find their way to freedom, wholeness, and forgiveness by bringing the hope of Jesus into their broken, shattered lives. It's one thing to rescue them, as I was again telling someone this morning, it's one thing to rescue these kids, and it's another to lead them into wholeness. And we want, to, we want them to find wholeness. So, here's my three-point message. That was just the intro. Church, I want to talk about healing, freedom, and wholeness for our children. I want to discuss the pathway to wholeness. God desires everyone to fully heal and to be whole. Whatever age we are, He wants us whole. Number one, refuse to keep secrets. Keeping secrets may not kill us physically, although it may. But it certainly has affected us emotionally and spiritually. We may feel dead inside, but talking about the trauma with someone we trust can set us free. We've got a story of a, of a lady that I met up north in the Sheboygan area. And um, she was abused when she was eight years old, and today she's 88. Eight years she has lived with that. 
and has never told anybody or hadn't told anybody. She was stooped over, she had tremors, and she was bent over, and she was very introverted with, it, with any person that, that she had met. She was been invited, they, she lived in a condo development up there, and she had been invited time and time again by a neighbor to come to her Bible study. Finally, she relented and went. Because I don't know if it would be just to get her off my back, so I, I could just go, she stopped asking me. But that day, I decided to go. I think it was the Holy Spirit. So as the, as the uh, they had the Bible study, and, and um, she enjoyed that. And then the leader asked, does anybody in here need help? Does anybody here not help that needs prayer? And um, she, she didn't raise her hand. A few ladies did, and, and the leader had ladies come around and pray for them. And she says, I still feel like there's someone in this room that needs prayer. Still, she didn't say anything. She says, I feel that someone in this room has had been sexually violated as a child. Still, she didn't answer. And then all of a sudden, she just she just broke, and she she just started sobbing. And they they knew that she, that her leader was on to something. So she had. So the leader had to go around and pray for her. And she said that was the first time that she had told anybody at 88 years old that she was, that she had been abused as a child. The amazing part about that whole thing was after she did that, her tremor stopped. Yeah, she was smooth as glass. She was able to stand straight up she was no, no longer bent over, kind of walking like this. She was made whole. She was not only healed emotionally that day, she was also healed physically that day. Amen? Amen. Is that incredible? It's incredible. The secret only holds power over us until we share it with someone trustworthy. Afterwards, it's no longer a secret. Even among my friends, I know who I can trust with secrets and those who can't hold secrets. So I'm warning you to be careful and be discerning that you need to talk about it. Church family, why don't we all strive to be the trustworthy person that people feel safe talking to? We were never meant to live in isolation. People that have been traumatized, especially by people they trusted, find it very difficult to trust anyone ever again. Pastors, elders, deacons, lay counselors, confidences, hold your confidences close. Don't be talking about them as a, as a prayer request. Second, refuse to be silent. What we can't or won't talk about owns us or it controls us. Both parties involved in childhood uh, sexual abuse need to talk about the abuse. The abuse needs to release the secret. You did nothing wrong, God loves you, and he wants you whole in every way. The abuser needs to release the secret. You did nothing wrong, excuse me, 
live up to the crime, pay the price, and fully heal. God loves you, and he wants you whole as well. A small minority of sexual abuse victims, trafficked and untrafficked, actually report or talk about their sexual trauma. The rest remain silent. There was a 16-year-old girl who was, um, she was a cheerleader, she was um, very popular in school. Um, just, you know, just, she was just a, a good kid in school and, and she had lots of friends. Then she retreated into her own shell and she started professing self-hatred. And it wasn't long before she started cutting and self-mutilating herself for comfort. After a suicide attempt, she told the hospital therapist about the rape. The enemy wanted that secret kept secret. When a secret is kept silent, we are isolated. Satan has us right where he wants us, suffering alone. We don't need to suffer. Refusing to keep the secret quiet is a powerful step in the healing process. Number three. The enemy pulls us into the role of the victim. We get to choose. Don't have your choice taken away. As unkind or as uncompassionate as this may sound, accepting our past is vital to becoming whole. Forgiveness plays a huge role in the healing process. If we don't forgive, we will live in torment, and the abuser is, in reality, still tormenting us. We need to accept the chapters in our story that we can't change. We didn't want these chapters, but there they are. Now how are we going to handle them? We can't change them, so to accept them is really the key to moving forward in our path of healing. Again, closing, our goal with Unbound is not for survivors to simply survive. It's to fully heal and thrive. Our, goals is, our goal is to bring hope and healing and wholeness, and there is a way to freedom and wholeness for the sexually traumatized. It's bringing the hope of Jesus into broken, shattered lives. Amen? Mark has been close today because he knows his church much better than I know his church. So uh, thank you very much for letting me share this. It's a, a um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but uh, Michigan is the number two or number three state in the nation for for uh, for reaching uh, or, or for abuse. And uh, most of it, they feel, is along I-75. And it goes all the way up to the um, all the way up to Canada, and it goes all the way down to the Keys. So that's where we are. Can we give it up for Pastor Friday? And I'm sure he has a table set up out there. Um, so if you have any questions, I'm sure he'd love to answer your questions, any thoughts, or anything like that. More information, he can give that to you. Um, but you guys messed up giving the next gen pastor the mic after a talk like that. How many people are a little frustrated or a little angry right now? Good. 
Um, you know, one thing that I love about the AG is how connected our next-gen pastors, kids, and youth pastors are. And being on Facebook groups or talking to other youth pastors and kids pastors, you know, there's a lot of things that our kids are struggling with right now. And you want to know some of the things that are being talked about in our church instead of the things we should be talking about. Are you ready for this? Because here's our biggest threat. Believing a lie to be true. And some of the things that we're teaching our kids in church, here are some of the things that we're teaching them instead of what we should be teaching them. Okay, are you ready for this? That a Christian can only be a Republican or Democrat. That women can't be pastors. That the COVID vaccine or COVID in general is real or not real. For the last year and a half, these are the topics that these youth pastors and kids pastors are bringing up all the time. But one thing that I'm not hearing these kids pastors and youth pastors bringing up are parents saying, this can never happen to my kids. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Because it is happening. You know, God gives me a verse every single year. And the verse right now is Psalm 23. I'm like, Lord, that's, that's a verse for, for funerals. And he said, no, it's a verse for life, right? Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflow. Can I make you a promise that God is preparing a table for your kids? And instead, we open up this building where they should feel safe. To share things like this. What was the statistic about people not sharing that they've been sexually abused in their lives? This should be the place where they should come to find comfort. And instead, we're telling our kids lies like that. That we're going home and saying, Mom, I should get vaccinated. I shouldn't get vaccinated. Mom, I can't be a Republican. Mom, I can't be a pastor. There was this girl in my youth group a long time ago in my old church who felt a calling so strong to be a pastor. She was so ready. She was like, I'm going to take classes. I'm going to go and read my Bible. I'm going to go do all these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead a church and somebody in our congregation came up to her and said, you cannot be a pastor because that's for men. And she walked away and she doesn't even go to church anymore. Our biggest threat is a lie that we believe to be true. And through all this political climate and racial reconciliation, our biggest threat to our kids isn't that. It's this. Sex trafficking. Sexual abuse. Can we be a church that changes the narrative? Can we be a church that changes the generational curses? Can we be a church that welcomes in, not even just our next gen, but those of you who are struggling with this and never shared with anybody, can we open up our church, right, in common unity, yeah. and say you belong here, that the Lord is preparing 
a table for you in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of our depression, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our pain and loss and struggle. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to walk through some stuff that you don't want to walk through. But we need to believe and we need to declare that our God is with us, our God is for us, and that there is healing physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So if nobody said this to you this morning, and you walked in isolated and alone, you belong here. You have a place here. You are loved here. And I'm sorry if a church hurt you before, someone in the church hurt you before, but let me just say this, as long as I'm your next gen pastor, your kids are going to feel safe. Your kids are going to feel loved. Will you stand somebody who's experienced this or you know somebody who's experienced this or you want to be an advocate or something like this will you come and join me down here at this altar and let's just pray that you believe in the future of our next gen, you believe in the future of this church, you believe in the future of this community, that this is something you want to stand against, this is somebody that you know somebody that you want to intercede for. Because there is healing. There is hope. But we need to stand together. Jesus, you are so good. Jesus, you are so mighty. And this might be a heavy topic this morning and some people weren't expecting something like this. But Lord, this is happening. This is happening to our kids. One in four girls, one in six boys. And Jesus, it's disgusting and heartbreaking. But these are some of the evils that our, that our children are standing against, Lord. This is something that people in this room are struggling with right now, Lord, or have struggled with it, or lived through something like this, and they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go, but Jesus, will you send your Holy Spirit right now, the advocate, our helper, Lord, that you gave to us specifically, and Jesus, will you breathe new life in this room? Jesus, will you start to anoint? Will you start to call? Will you start to heal right now, Jesus? Because, Lord, even sexual abuse, even anxiety, even depression need to bow to your name. Yeah. And there's healing because you are here. And there's freedom because you are here. So Jesus, all of my friends that are standing in this room, 
All of the people that they're interceding for right now are kids back in our kids' hallway. Jesus, right now, will you remind us? Will you remind us whose we are? Will you remind us who we belong to? Will you remind us that before we were formed in our mother's womb, you called us by name? Will you remind us that in the midst of our enemies, you are preparing a table for us? Jesus, remind us that. And Lord, as a church, one thing that Craig said that broke my heart, Lord, is, is the church even making a difference? Lord, can the Shores Church be a church that makes a difference? Unite us together, Lord. Bring us together, Lord, under your protection, under your love, under your calling. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. As we're staying standing, let's say the Great Commission together. But just remember to go out today, and the cold, and you're driving, and it's snowing, and whatever you're going through, the Lord is preparing a table for you specifically. Let's say it again. Say this together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We love you guys. And have a great week. Have fun in your anchor groups this week. Come on, it's going to be great. We'll see you next week, okay? Thank you,